Take your Bibles this evening and uh, turn with me to Psalm 34. Psalm 34, and we'll, uh, I believe it's verse 15, that we're going to uh, start at tonight. And I uh, hope your day has gone well, and I hope that uh, what we're going to talk about tonight is not your problem right now. But what we're going to talk about will be a problem. It either has been, it is, or it will be. Uh, at some time in life. Nobody escapes this kind of stuff, these uh, unjust attacks. You know, we think about unjust attacks, Pearl Harbor, that type of thing, and we uh, think about 9-11, those kind of things, attacks from other countries, and we say, how in the world could they do that? Well, that's the way the enemy likes to work, and we, uh, those are just illustrations of the spiritual battles that we face. The demons of hell don't play fair, and the devil doesn't organize things and look around and say, Oh, well, you've been through a lot lately. Let's just back off and give you a little rest. Now, he pounces on those kind of things and organizes his demons to attack us. And then we also face those kind of things sometimes uh, in our family, sometimes in the workplace, sometimes from complete strangers. I was uh, in Walgreen one time. And uh, I was getting ready to go check out, and I inadvertently stepped in front of a guy, and man, it made him mad. And I apologized and said, I'm sorry, I don't always see well, and I wasn't paying close attention, and you know, my bad, and all of that. And I thought he was going to want to step outside, and uh, he, he accused me of doing it on purpose because I didn't think that he was anything, and I thought I was better than him, and I could just step in line in front of him. Well, that wasn't true in any way, shape, or form, and uh, yet he just was not convinced. You ever had something like that happen? Sometimes it's somebody you, uh, uh, maybe you're driving, and they honk at you, and you say, oh, man, I'm sorry, I didn't mean to do that, and they uh, glare at you, and, um, you know, all those kind of things that they do when they uh, pass you by, and you feel terrible about it. Have you ever had a time when maybe you said something to somebody and then after it came out of your mouth you remembered a situation they were in and you go ah I shouldn't have said that that was exactly the wrong thing to say and then maybe later on you hear from somebody else about what you did and you go no that's not really what I did unjust accusations that will come our way and uh, what do we what do we do and how do we handle these kind of things and David gives us some very, very practical things, but it's not really about us, okay? Always remember, when you go to the Bible and you immediately run to you, you're probably going to get it wrong. But when we look to the Lord, and that's what we're going to do tonight, because the Lord really is the answer to these kind of situations, wherever they come, however they come, however long they last, whatever it is that you may be going through, whatever it is that is said about you, whatever it is that people think you have done, whatever it is that you carry a burden about because of that, <clears throat> we've got to uh, look to the Lord. Now, it'd be nice if we could open up and uh, come to this psalm, and it says there's three easy things to do to make all of this go away, but there's not. And David would really understand that much better than, than we would because he was constantly under some kind of attack, wasn't he? 
And you think about how he had to run for his life. You think about the things that were said about him. And, you know, the bad thing about accusations and attacks is sometimes we're deserving of them. And whenever there's something that I can identify that I actually did wrong and meant to be wrong in it, then, then everything kind of makes sense. Well, I was a fool, and I shouldn't have done this, and I'm reaping what I have sown. Sometimes it kind of fits. I don't like it, and I wish it would go away, but at least it makes sense. But sometimes there are these things that just kind of seem to come out of nowhere, and you don't seem to deserve them, and you can't make them go away. And there's no one, two, three in the Bible that just poof, and it's gone. We've got to... Always look to the Lord, which leads me to believe that I, that the Lord sometimes allows these things to come so that we might look to Him and not just take life for granted. We just kind of believe that everything ought to be hunky-dory in our lives and we ought to just have no problems or anything like that and that problems and trials and, and these kind of accusations, that they're the, uh, the aberration in things. And yet really... Living in a fallen world, these things are normal. What's abnormal is to have any kind of peace or to have any kind of joy. And only the Lord can give you that. And of course, that's part of the fruit of the Spirit. Um, let's see. Let me get here to the right page. Um, I was thinking about this, and uh, this, this kind of fits. And I may have heard this somewhere. I don't know. But it said, to get a better outlook, you need a better uplook. For a better outlook, you need a better uplook. And I think that's where we mess up so many times. Things happen to us that we didn't see coming. And we look to that person or we look to our circumstances or we look to our own abilities. And our outlook just gets darker and darker, cloudier and cloudier. Things get out of focus. And uh, the burden gets greater and greater and we're, we're weighed down by it. And we get anxious and stressed out, those kind of things. When the thing that we need to do whenever these come is to look up to the Lord. And I know we all know that. And I know we all say that. And I know we all think that we do that. But I would like to ask you a question. Whenever something comes that really, really bugs you, that really bothers you, that really concerns you, Okay, how much time do you spend thinking about the Lord as opposed to how much time you think about the problem? And so many times we find ourselves gazing at the problem with just a glance occasionally to the Lord. And we say, yeah, I've taken it to the Lord and I've laid it at His feet. But you really haven't because you're still thinking about it. You're still worrying about it. You're still stewing over it. It still is occupying all of your mind. But what we need to be doing is gazing at the Lord with a glance every once in a while at the problem. You see what I'm saying? And so that's what the Lord is teaching us through this. Because there's any number of people tonight in any given situation that are ready to throw a rock at you. And you're going to wonder where did that come from? Why did that come? Uh, and who did this? And why would they do this? And what caused them to do this? And there are just some things you'll never know. The secret things Deuteronomy 29, 29 say they belong to the Lord and we can't always figure everything out, but we can look to the Lord. found a quote by, uh, uh, are any of you big fans of Rutherford B. Hayes? Ring a bell? 
He was a 19th president, uh, in case you didn't know. And uh, so I'm sure you probably got his biography somewhere and all of that. Probably been a long time since you've heard a quote from him. So here it is. Unjust attacks on public men do more good than unmerited praise. Now, see, for me, I know which one I would rather have. Which one would you rather have? I'll take unmerited praise any day. You know why? Because, man, it's enough if I get praise that I deserve. But if I get it for something I really didn't do, well, pile it on, man. That's good. And yet, he says something that I think is very true. We don't really learn anything from praise that we don't deserve. People just flattering us. Or, uh, as my associate pastor in Tuttle used to say, blowing sunshine up your overalls. You don't really learn anything from that. In fact, it gives you a false sense of security. And it just kind of puffs up your ego and your pride when that happens. And we all know what the Bible says about pride. That uh, it's one of the things that Solomon said the Lord abhors. It's an abomination unto him, a proud look. And uh, it's also the sin of Lucifer um, before he was cast out of heaven. So we don't, we don't want to have anything to do with pride. We also know that um, pride goes before destruction and a haughty spirit before a fall. And yet pride just seems comfortable. It, it seems like it fits, especially the unmerited kind, where you know, well, I don't really deserve that, but it sure is comfortable. It sure fits good. It sure feels good. And uh, yet the other thing that comes our way when we get these so-called undeserved accusations, yet that's when we learn. That's when we learn to look to the Lord, to trust the Lord. That's when we learn to, get, uh, to take better stock of the world around us. If everything's going my way and it's sunshine and roses and lollipops and bluebirds and all of that kind of thing, then I don't get a real vision of the world. I don't have real compassion for people that are suffering. And uh, there are certain things you'll go through in life that you will never, ever forget. And every time you hear about it on the news or in somebody's life, other people may just go, oh, oh, well, but you don't. I, I tend to think more when I hear people are having heart problems or open heart surgery. That gets me a little more than it used to because I've been through there, been through that, and I've done that. And so God takes us through these things, and uh, that way we have more compassion, more sympathy, and more empathy for other people. And we could always use more of that. Sometimes I think what President Hayes was saying is, it, it causes us to look at ourselves more realistically, doesn't it? And uh, there are some times when we're just unaware that we have any problems or flaws or anything like that until somebody is kind enough to uh, point them out. And uh, it hurts whenever that happens. But also, that's something that actually heals us. But anyway, I thought that was a, a good quote for us to think about unjust attacks on public men do more good than unmerited praise. So, uh, what would David say about it? Well, Psalm 34, 15 through 18, he says, The eyes, and, and notice how he, uh, these are called anthropomorphisms. They, they give us, give the Lord human characteristics. Because as a spirit, does he really have eyes like we do? No. 
but it helps us to picture what he is doing here. It's going to talk about his ears. It's going to talk about his face, that type of thing, so that we get a, a picture of this. And think about how beautiful this is. Verse 15, the eyes of the Lord are on the righteous. I mean, and we could stop there, give an invitation and go home, couldn't we? That, that is so much more than we deserve. That is so much more than anything that we could ever or should ever expect in life. And it's interesting to uh, think that we will, uh, when somebody makes an unjust ac accusation toward us, we go, how dare they do that and where did that come from? And yet the Bible can say that the eyes of the Lord are on the righteous and we go, yeah, okay. It's kind of like breathing. We just don't give it a second thought. But if we really stopped to think about it, the accusations are something we probably should expect. And the favor of God is something we ought to marvel over. The eyes of the Lord are on the righteous. And it gets better. His ears are open to their cry. Verse 16. The face of the Lord is against those who do evil, to cut off the remembrance of them from the earth. Verse 17, we're back to us. The righteous cry out, and the Lord hears and delivers them out of all their troubles. Verse 18, the Lord is near to those who have a broken heart and saves such as have a contrite spirit. So we'll talk about that in a little bit. You know anybody with a broken heart? Do you have a broken heart? That's not a bad thing, according to what David says here. So when you receive these unjust accusations that come against you and they're so painful and they hurt and they're like being hit in the head with a rock, what would David have us to see? Okay, let's do point number one now. David would say, you have the Lord's attention. You know, it doesn't feel like it. Sometimes we think we've got to inform the Lord. Lord, these people are uh, coming after me or they're doing something that's unfair. The truth of the matter is you don't have to say anything to him about that because his eyes are upon you. And the Bible says in, uh, I believe it's Psalm 139, that his thoughts toward us outnumber the sands of the sea. You ever been to the beach? You ever built a sandcastle? Have you ever scooped up sand in your hand? Okay, here's another thing. Have you ever taken that sand in your hand and counted the grains of sand? Isn't that amazing? You, you can't. And uh, you talk about going crazy. You would do that. And yet David tells us in the Psalms that the Lord's thoughts toward us outnumber the sand. And I got a feeling he's not just saying it's more than that little bit of sand you can hold in your hand. I don't have very big hands, so I, I can get the sand. I can hold wet sand better than I can the dry kind. It kind of slips through. And yet the Bible says that the Lord's thoughts toward me outnumber the grains of sand. Can you imagine how many times he has thought about you today and you thought you were being ignored, you thought you were alone, you thought nobody cared, you thought nobody saw, you thought nobody was really paying any attention to it. And so uh, David says up here, you have the Lord's um, attention because he's always watching after us. He never 
looks away. And only a, a, a powerful, omnipotent God can do this because I can't look multiple places at the same time with full attention. But the Lord can. And the Lord can look at all of His children. I wonder how many Christians there are worldwide. And all of them have His attention just like we do. And the attention that we have is as if we were the only one on earth. Can you imagine that? The Lord, I used to take my kids out and uh, with three kids, sometimes, you know, we tended to do things as a group. And uh, every once in a while, I would take them out and say, this is a special day and I'm going to take you out and you get to pretend you're the only child. And uh, I think uh, Jenny particularly liked that, being in the middle. And uh, so we'd have a good time. And on that particular day, they had my attention and all of that. Have you ever thought about the fact that God treats you as though you were the only one in the family, and yet there are millions, if not billions, in the family, and everybody has his full, undivided attention, no matter where you are. And so when you uh, find yourself in the valley of the shadow of death, what does Psalm 23 tell us? I'll fear no evil, and why will I fear no evil? You're with me. Yeah, you're with me. I didn't have to call him. I didn't have to summon him. And that's why I've been uh, noticing a lot of songs that I like, actually, and songs that I have sung in the past, they kind of give the idea that God's way off somewhere. And if I just call on him, all of a sudden I hear the bugle and the horse, uh, the horse hooves hitting the pavement, and here he comes to the rescue. Well, that's not really the picture the Bible gives, is it? It's not that the Lord comes running to us. It's that the Lord is with us wherever we may go. We have His attention. Now, let's also be fair. That's also in the bad times too. That's also in the times of our sin, isn't it? We never get away from the Lord. We can't hide. We can't you know, sneak off or do anything like that. Uh, with little grandchildren like we have, you kind of relive raising your own children and it's uh, just kind of funny seeing them when they're little and they have uh, been told no on the piece of candy by their parents. And um, then you see them and uh, they are standing behind the curtains and you see their feet sticking out. And they think that they are hidden, don't they? Isn't that right? Do you remember playing with your kids or your grandkids hide and seek? It takes them a while to kind of get the concept, doesn't it? And they think that if they can't see you, that you can't what? See them. Yeah. And you see them. You know, there you are. You know, one of these days you'll get it. Now, my older grandkids have gotten it. I can never find Maverick. He's learned how to hide. He's learned the secret. But uh, the other ones, it's really kind of funny. And uh, especially with uh, Molly and Emma, they're kind of funny too because they don't think hide-and-seek is any fun unless you can find them. And so when you're looking for them, I'm over here, come get me, Big G, you know, that kind of thing. And I don't know why I'm telling you all that except to say sometimes we're like those little kids. And we tend to think that if we don't see the Lord, He doesn't see us. Now this promise... The eyes of the Lord are on the righteous. That means all the time, full attention, 
in the good times, yikes, and also in the times when we are rebelling against Him, when we're doing our own thing, and we think we're hidden. We don't think anybody sees, and yet the Lord sees all of that. Even the darkness, David says in another place, is light to Him, because He is light. And He's with us. His Holy Spirit indwells us. And uh, David... Uh, Another time says, where can I go from your spirit? And then he names a bunch of places. You can't get away from him. Ask Jonah what that's like. I'll get on this ship. I'm not going to Nineveh. I'm going to go to Tarshish. And I'll just go away from the Lord. Well, what happened? The Lord was with him. And uh, the storm comes up that was from the Lord. Jonah gets thrown overboard. Oh, and there just happened to be a submarine called a big fish. And uh, takes him where? Right where he needed to get off. And he gets off at Nineveh and he goes in and half-heartedly preaches to them. And uh, I think it's wonderful and wonderfully encouraging. A half-hearted sermon by a half-hearted prophet brings revival. Man, I wish God would do that here for our country, right? And I think about how wonderful all that is because you can't flee from the Lord. So uh, this is supposed to be an encouraging verse, though. The eyes of the Lord are on the righteous and his ears are open to their cry. Can you imagine that here you are crying out to the Lord in this situation? You're trapped, you're broken, you're defeated, you're discouraged, and all of that, and the Lord doesn't turn away from you. The Lord doesn't back off from you. Maybe even if you're wrong and you're the cause of all of it, He doesn't turn away from you. He doesn't withdraw His presence. He doesn't hide from you or anything like that. He is open to your cry. And I think about the wonderful story of the prodigal son and that, that wonderful father there, who even though his son has gone and taken the inheritance, and you do realize to take the inheritance like that son did, that meant he had to sell some of the family land, land that had been in the family since Joshua gave it to them, and he sells it. Now strangers are occupying the land, that ancestral land that they have had for generations, and he goes and liquidates the land and, and turns it into money and then takes off and goes to the uh, far country for the, uh, what's the King James say, riotous living. And the older brother later says prostitutes and things like that. I mean, think about all of that. That this, this son has completely disgraced the family and disgraced the father. And yet, what is the father doing? He's out there looking and out there waiting. And when he sees the son, he does a very undignified thing. He hikes up his robes and he takes off running to the sun and when he sees the sun who still smells like a hog pen and everybody knows what he has done and they are shocked when this man this rich nobleman reaches out to his son and embraces him and kisses him and then says get a ring get a robe get the shoes and come home and let's kill the fatted calf for my son that was dead is alive the son that was lost, he is found. And this so angered the older brother. And it shocked all of the people around there because that's not normal. He needs to pay. He needs to be punished. He needs to suffer. And you remember the prodigal came back with the idea of, I'll just be one of your servants, Dad. All I want to do is eat. My stomach is killing me. 
All I want to do is eat. And everybody would have been happy with that. And the village would have thought, it would whip him, put him in the public square and beat the daylights out of him. That would be good enough for him. But what this man did would have been shocking to all of them. Well, that's what I want you to think about in point number one. This is a shocking thing when you think about who we are and who God is and how faithful and how good and how kind he is even when we are at our worst. So what do you have to handle life, especially the unfair parts of life? You have him. And he never leaves you and he knows right where you are, good and bad, and he hears your cry. And just like that father of the prodigal was just waiting, waiting for a glimpse, what's on the horizon? Could it be... Uh, I'm watching. I I think it might be. It's looking more like it. It's him. And he runs to him. That's the picture Jesus wanted to give us of God, willing and eager to forgive our sins and to put us in a right relationship with him. That's what David is saying here. Isn't that a blessing? Number two, you have the Lord's aggression, aggression toward evil. Some people kind of have the idea that the Lord is sort of, uh, just kind of passive. You know, when he gets around to it, he'll do something. No, 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 no. He's active. He is always at work. Whether you see it, understand it, or feel it or not, the Lord is always at work. You know, we say things that we don't really mean. We have a good church service, and somebody said, Boy, the Lord showed up today. You mean he wasn't with us before? He wasn't with us any other time? I mean, we say something, but, well, no, I, I don't really mean that. Well, I hope you don't because it's not true. The Lord is not, he's never absent from the gathering of his children. He is here because he lives in us. There are those times when we talk about the Lord and uh, something happens. Oh boy, the Lord sure is good. Well, are there times when he's not good? You know, and, and, and we act like, you know, sometimes, you know, the Lord is good and sometimes, he, you know, he's questionable on some things well that's not true and we know that's not true and yet we say those kind of things heard a preacher one time he was getting ready to preach in a revival meeting he was there in the auditorium a little bit early and some people were behind him and they were talking about the fact that their uh, one of the uh, uh, lady's sons was in an automobile accident somebody ran a red light and t-boned him and oh no is he okay yeah he was treated and released Boy, the Lord sure was with you and sure blessed you. Okay? Well, what if he had died? Would that have changed God? What if he were in the hospital facing countless surgeries? Would that have changed anything? No, God would still have been with him and God would still have been blessing them even at that kind of thing. We know that, but the things that we say that give a false impression of God... And uh, sometimes we act like, well, if, they, if somebody died in an automobile accident, well, God wasn't with them. Well, he was if they were saved. And you better be glad because the Bible says precious in the sight of the Lord is the death of his saints. And I know one thing, however I die, if it's in an automobile accident, if it's a disease, if it's uh, you know, a gunshot or something like that, I want the Lord to be with me when I die. And I don't want to be saying, well, I... Got shot, I guess the Lord wasn't with me. No, that's not true. When we're under persecution, we may be one of these days. But think about those people that live in countries where they're being persecuted. 
Is the Lord not good because they're in jail? Well, of course he is. Is the Lord not with them because they're in jail? Well, of course he's with them. And so we've got to get these things out of our minds. And so many times we pray, Oh, Lord, please be with me. And I understand that. I know what you mean. But we need to weed that out because that implies that there are times when the Lord is not with us. You know, uh, first time I thought about that was going back when Papa Sam was preaching one time and he talked about the Great Commission. And in the Great Commission, Jesus said, of course, go into all the world, preach the gospel. And he said, and lo, I am with you until the end of the age. And I remember him saying, I was just a kid, that one of the dumbest prayers we ever pray is when we're going out on church visitation and we say, oh, Lord, be with us. He goes, you've got it in black and white. He has promised to be with you always, especially then. And that got me to thinking, how many times do we say things that are not biblical, that give a bad impression of our God, that can even give the impression to lost people around us that our God's kind of hit and miss? Sometimes he's on, sometimes he's off. Sometimes he's with us, sometimes he's with somebody else. Sometimes he does good things and sometimes he does some bad things. I mean, what are we really communicating in all of that? So I want to challenge you to think about it. And I want you to think about what uh, these verses are saying here about the Lord's aggression toward evil. God is never passive, and there's never a time when he just says, ah, boys will be boys, and ah, that's the way the world is, and oh, lost people will be lost people. The Lord always hates evil. Look at verse 16. The face, the face of the Lord is against those who do evil to cut off the remembrance of them from the earth. Really? That's what it says. And we're so busy telling lost people, God loves you and has a wonderful plan for your life. Not if they don't get saved. And it says in Psalm 711 that he's angry with sinners every day. And this verse tells us that for every lost person, every evildoer, the Lord's face is against them. You know what that means? He is opposing them every step of the way. He is limiting them every step of the way. Say, so, well then, if that's true, why did Hitler kill 6 million Jews? Because God didn't want him killing 30 million. And he opposed him every step of the way. Why is it that bad people get to do things in a world like we live in, even to good people, because they would do a whole lot worse. You remember the Bible says, the thief comes but to kill, steal, and destroy. What would he do to you if he could? Well, I know one thing, there would be a bunch of coffins in this room tonight because he would kill everyone, every one of us if he had the power. He has the desire, but he doesn't have the power. He would steal from us every possession that we have, every friendship that we have, every relationship that we have, and he would steal from us our very salvation and relationship with the Lord if he had that power. And some people act like he does have that kind of power, but he doesn't. God forbids it because his face is against him. And he would destroy our walk with God and destroy any joy that we have, any happiness that we have, 
any sense of fulfillment or satisfaction or contentment that we have. He would certainly destroy any holiness that is in our life, but he can't because the face of the Lord is against those that do evil, and that would include the devil and all of his demons. And anything that they do, it's because he allows them to do it, and he has a purpose in allowing that to happen, and we don't know what that purpose is. Sometimes it has to do with me to teach me something, to get my attention, to let me suffer the consequences of sin so I hate it and forsake it. Sometimes it may have to do with somebody else. I mean, Job was a perfect and upright man. Look how he suffered. And it wasn't his fault and it wasn't for him, but it certainly blesses and teaches us. All of these things are so true because the Lord is giving a face-off toward evil. And any time evil comes your way, it has to face God first. And there are some times and some things that the Lord has simply said about you, no, you're not touching them. No, you're not hurting them. And just as the devil had to have permission when he attacked Job, he has to have permission whenever he attacks you. And the Lord rules over that realm and all of the plans and they can only do what they are permitted to do. His face is against evil, corruption, injustice, lies, treachery, immorality, drug and alcohol abuse, uh, any of those kind of things that we could name on and on and on that are in our world. Guess who is for it? Well, the enemy is for it and he pushes that agenda. Guess who's against it? And that is God. And his face is always against evil. He is opposing it all the way through. And he says he's going to cut off remembrance of them from the earth. Okay. Uh, what was the context of this psalm? Let's see. David was uh, running for his life. And he went to Gath, the city of Goliath. And he was there with a king. A king, um, king George? No. Uh, King Edward, no, uh, no, uh, Akish, yeah, yeah, I think that's it. When's the last time you read a good book about King Akish, besides the Bible? When's the last time you saw uh, the History Channel, tonight's story, a look at King Akish, huh? What? Pretty well been forgotten, hadn't he? And that's what David is talking about here. The Lord is going to wipe out all the memory of all the evildoers one of these days. And that's one of the reasons why I don't think we're going to be in heaven moping around because somebody that we love is not there. That's a tragic thing to think about. But uh, I think remembrance of them is all going to be uh, taken away. And that's going to be, uh, that's one of the promises that's here. These people that puff themselves up and they're so proud and so arrogant. And the Lord said, you're going to be cut off. I'm against you. You're going to be cut off and you're not even going to be remembered anymore. Number three, what do we have with these false accusations and uh, all of these things? Well, you have the Lord's aid. The Bible says in verse 17, the righteous cry out, the Lord hears. Okay, that's good, but it's not done. The word and connects it and delivers them out of all of their troubles. I was... Uh, doing some things uh, around our house today and uh, I was getting ready to leave and so I went out to our garage and Sammy already had the door up and we're getting ready to leave and I heard a car alarm 
You ever hear those car alarms? They all have them. Honk, 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 honk. What do you do when you hear a car alarm? I check to see if it's mine. And if it's not, I do nothing. Or we've gotten so you remember when they were new? When something happened like that, boy, that's a neat thing. Man, that'll scare bad guys off. Not if everybody does what I do. Hmm, not my car. And go on. We just kind of ignore it. I heard it, but I didn't do anything about it. Heard a house alarm going off the other day. Oh, somebody's house alarm's going off. I guess they'll get it pretty soon. I mean, probably I should have taken off and gone over there and seen if there was a bad guy in the house or something, but I didn't. Why? We get used to those kind of things and we hear them, but we don't do anything about them. Can you imagine if we were in trouble and the enemy's attacking and we cry out to the Lord and we're just a car alarm, we're just a house alarm. Ah, somebody will shut that off in a minute. Surely it's nothing. No big deal. There's probably nothing going on there. Can you imagine if God did that? But David assures us that the Lord is not only watching over us and not only opposing evil, but when we get into these situations and we cry out to him, here's a promise. He hears us. He hears us. Even if I caused it, even if it's because of my sin, he hears it when I cry out to him and he's waiting for that. He hears it when I am unjustly uh, accused. He hears it when I'm unjustly going through something. He hears it and he does something about it. He gets involved and he delivers them out of all of their troubles. Got any troubles that aren't included in that? I think that word all settles that. All of your troubles. The Lord has that power and he does it his way and he does it in his time. Okay? And then number four... You also have the Lord's affection. You don't have his aggravation. You don't have his annoyance. You have, according to David here, his affection. Look at verse 18. The Lord is near, near to those who have a broken heart and save such as have a contrite spirit. You know, there's a lot of arrogance in the world today, and we like to boast in our strength i'm a strong person i'm experienced and i'm wise and i can handle this it doesn't say that he is near to those kind of people he's near to those who have a broken heart psalm 51 david writes after his sin with bathsheba and he says a broken heart you will not despise that means you won't overlook or take for granted. He pays attention. He springs into action on that for the defense of those who have a broken heart. And yet, we try everything we can not to have a broken heart. And we try to make sure other people don't have a broken heart. And yet, that's sometimes the very thing that we need. Brokenness brings blessings. And he talks about a contrite spirit. That spirit that is humble before God. That spirit that is dependent upon God. Not independent. Not prideful. Not taking matters into their own hands. But looking unto the Lord. His affection. The Lord is near to those who have a broken heart. You know, I don't tend to get very close to people I don't like. And people that don't like me. 
But if there's somebody that I love, I want to be close to them and I want to be around them. And the Lord is expressing His tenderness, His mercy, and also His affectionate love toward His children. He's near to them. When is He near to them? When they're at their worst. Broken hearted. There's not much worse than just having your heart broken, is it? And He saves such as have a contrite spirit. Those people who can't save themselves. That's what happened to you when you were born again. Your heart was broken under the burden of sin and you had a contrite spirit because you knew there was no other way and you couldn't save yourself and you cried out to the Lord and He heard you. But I've also got some good news. You're going to have a broken heart again from time to time and you're going to be just as needy of the Lord as you ever were. And He says He hears those who have a contrite spirit. So the key is that we desperately try... Uh, is what we desperately try to avoid. I don't like broken hearts. I try to avoid having my heart broken. And yet the Lord says, that's what I pay attention to. See how backwards we are? God's economy and God's kingdom just works differently than ours does. We say, hold on to everything you've got and you'll be wealthy. God says, give and it'll be given unto you, right? I mean, think about all the things that Jesus said. You want to live? Yeah, you have to die. Take up your cross. Well, that doesn't sound logical. Yeah, but you're thinking about a different kingdom. That doesn't work in this kingdom, but it works in God's kingdom. And the same thing is true. The broken heart and uh, the contrite spirit, and that's what we don't like. So what he's saying here is look up. Look up. Whenever you're in trouble, look up. Whenever you're discouraged, look up. Whenever things don't seem to make sense, look up. God is on the throne and God is in control. Okay? I want you to uh, read the Minor Prophets sometime and see how many times God says, I know you're in bad shape right now, but just wait because one of these days I'm going to overthrow every throne and I'm going to overthrow all of the kingdoms and I'm going to assert myself like you have never seen before. There's a better day that is coming. That's why we've got to look to the Lord. I want you to uh, turn in your Bibles to the sixth chapter of Isaiah and I want you to stand while we read this, okay? Isaiah chapter 6. Uzziah the king is getting ready to die. He's been a good king for over 40 years. What are we going to do without Uzziah? And it's as if the Lord says here, don't worry about it. Governments mean little or nothing to me. They come and they go. Kings are no big deal. I reign supreme and eternal and my word stands. So let's stand together and let's read Isaiah chapter 6. Okay. And next time you have trouble, think about this. In the year that King Uzziah died, I saw the Lord sitting on a throne high and lifted up, and the train of His robe filled the temple. Above it stood seraphim. Each one had six wings. With two he covered his face, and with two he covered his feet, and with two he flew. And one cried to another and said, Holy, holy, holy is the Lord of hosts. The whole earth is full of His glory. And the posts of the door were shaken by the voice of Him who cried out. And the house was filled with smoke. So I said, 
Woe is me, for I am undone, because I am a man of unclean lips, and I dwell in the midst of a people of unclean lips, for my eyes have seen the King, the Lord of hosts. What is he going to do? Then one of the seraphim, it's an angel, it means burning ones, flew to me, having in his hand the live coal with which he had taken with the tongs from the altar. And he touched my mouth with it and said, Behold, this has touched your lips. Your iniquity is taken away and your sin is purged. Is there an amen out there anywhere? Also, I heard the voice of the Lord saying, Whom shall I send and who will go for us? And then I said, I mean, what else are you going to say? Here am I. Send me. And it's as if the Lord was saying, I know your favorite king, a good king, maybe one of the best Israel ever had, is about to die. What's going to happen? Who's going to take over? What is going to invade our nation? How shall we survive? And the Lord is saying, just take a deep breath and rest in me. Because I'll show you my power. I'll cleanse you from your sins. And then I'm going to give you a ministry. And if you are under the burden of what we've talked about tonight, look up and look for a ministry. Because if you can get busy doing something, it may be a prayer ministry, it may be, I don't know what it is, the Lord may lead you into it so it will occupy your time and occupy your mind and you do something for the glory of God and you do something that's eternal. So much we do during the day is going to be gone one of these days and amount to nothing one of these days. Only one life will soon be passed. Only what's done for Christ will last. Do something that will last like Isaiah did in the midst of your despair, look up and look for a ministry for the glory of God. Okay, will you pray with me? Oh Lord, we live in a troubled world, a broken world, a hurting world, a sinful world, an evil world, a world that is rebellious, a world that daily commits treason against its maker. And Lord, we want to come and say we don't want to be like them. We want to be different. And the only way we can be different is not to depend upon our strength, not to depend upon our ability, not to depend upon our confidence. That's what the world always tells us. Look within, be strong, and all of those kind of things. You can do it. We recognize, Lord, we can't do it. And we're not strong. As the old song says, they are weak, but he is strong. As the Apostle Paul said, I will boast rather in my weakness for when I am weak, then I am strong. Help us to understand that and grasp it because it's in our weakness we see you in the way that David described in the verses in this psalm tonight. So help us, Lord, in the trying times in which we live to look up and see you in your sovereignty and to look around us for the ministry that you would have us to do that will last forever and be rewarded in heaven. And forgive us when we look to ourselves and forgive us when we occupy ourselves with things that aren't going to last. And change us and lead us in the way 
everlasting, as the scripture says. And so for this, we say thank you. Hallelujah to our King. And in Jesus' name, amen.